You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply got into an argument on the bus about a song you know and he hit me it was like an open hand but still enough to bust my lip you know it took me to the ground it was like you know because he, he said he was a god he actually <laughs> said that he said i'm a god call me a faggot <gasps> you know and then and and on, while he's raging on top of me you know he go i go um i go you know he's I was like, yo, you got hit me, just hit me. Because I wasn't fighting it. That's, that's, that's the thing about f- fighting is a lot like sex. Um, it's very different. You know, without consent, it's a different act, right? So, like, if I don't agree to fight you, we're not in a fight. You're just assaulting the person. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Benny Goodman. I want to be really solemn today because we're going to talk about some serious, heavy-ass shit here on the show 2020. I'm here with my partners, the, 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 I, I think my hostages in this situation that's going on with the Bad Wolves, Corey and Siobhan. How are you guys, man? Are you guys, are you guys hanging in there? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a little, like, disturbed by the way you're speaking right the now. The ominous I'm voice. I'm disturbed by Tommy Vexed and all the weird-ass shit that that fucker's saying, and I didn't know who the real Bad Wolves were it, after this it's very week. fitting i mean we got into some yeah some deep shit with doc about what was going on with bad wolves getting the new singer stuff with tommy so it was definitely a a very eye-opening and insightful interview with a lot of emotion behind it so yeah, we get into yeah. some really cool stuff yeah, if you're not familiar uh the the boiled down point is that there was some drama there's a singer leaving singer coming in and then a lot of social media shit blowing up over the last you know several weeks so but I, I want to say that we touch upon something that's very important, and that's assault um, in this episode. And Doc really – I couldn't believe how open he was about this. And, like, I want people to understand that we really appreciate Doc coming on our show and, and sharing because, I don't know, my jaw was on the was on the floor. Yeah. So stay tuned. Part one with Doc Coyle right now. Welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, as always, with Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. What's up, guys? Hello. Oh, not much. Just coming back to life after a festival weekend. I know. We'll have to get, we'll have to get into some of that stuff. You know, last time uh, we had our amazing guest on, I think we were still in the midst of a little bit of a global shutdown type of situation. But I do want to We have only back. had one amazing guest this entire 100 episodes, <laughs> exactly. and he's back. So right. thank you. So welcome back, Mr. Doc Coyle of Bad Wolves, the X-Man podcast, and fellow Sound Talent Media. The real Bad Wolves, by the way. The actual band, the Bad Wolves. If you guys are Googling this, there's some confusion on the internet. There is only one real Bad Wolves, and it contains Doc Coyle from a band called God Forbid, just so you guys know. Well, I'm wearing this shirt, so, you know, that's how you know. You know, the, 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 uh, the backs is real. And then okay. just, oh, nice. really? <laughs> no. That's awesome. No, it's a, it's a Timberwolves jersey. It's like the Prince edition Minnesota Timberwolves jersey. So, you know, I keep it real. 
There you well, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. Even though it's not 2020 anymore. I don't know why y'all, you know, got that's the old ass fucking. Well, you're getting uh, 2020 you know. right now online constantly by a megalomaniacal crazy person. That's an X-Man. Is this ironic, <laughs> Alanis Morissette? Because I just saw her the other night and she was amazing. No, I was, I was like, I was trying to explain to people because, you know, because a lot of, you know, a lot of people kind of come in and give you advice, you know, how to handle it. And you know, I, hope, I get a lot of these, Doc, I hope you're well. We're, we're thinking about you. Like you, like, like, like your house just like got, a death. Fl- just got <laughs> flooded in like a hurricane and you're like sitting on like top waiting for like helicopters. Like they know you went through a rough time. So it's like people, people check in. And, I, and actually, if you think about it, at least in rock, I, don't, I just don't think this has ever happened. What we're going through. I don't think I'm like, I think we are patient zero for this uh, adventure. And if you're not clued into the online experience, you have no idea it's happening. <laughs> Dude, I just want to let you know. So I, I was on another podcast earlier and I was talking about interviewing you. And he's like, have you been watching? So I went back and I got like my leftover food and I went and, and like literally went through the whole diatribe. And let me tell you, if I was Dr. Drew, I would be making some serious assumptions right now about your ex singer. I'd be like going online and be like, whoa, this dude has like a, uh, he's narcissistic, megalomaniacal, like weird shit going on. So maybe some sociopathic things go. He's clearly a liar. I'm, I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, does he, re- I, I want to live in his head, dude. Not enough. You need a machete and like a Gatling gun and you know, it's a good, probably a dangerous space. It's Listen, like the I, cell. I, Jennifer no, Lopez is coming to- out. No, but seriously, I try not to get into the um, kind of back and forth. I don't. I don't feel like it's. Uh, listen, there's. I've said a handful of things, but I always try and state it in the most kind of calm and measured. You know what I'm saying? I'm like Obama's my man, so I'm like, look, I think the American people <laughs> need to understand. Well, there's not you have a, your inter- a red your interpreter. Where's there's Peel? not a bull America. There's just United States America. You know, I'm always trying to be the diplomat. You know, and bring the people together. So. Um, you know, and I always, I always say, like, uh, you know, kind of one of the keys to, I think, dealing with conflict is not always to meet the energy of the people that are opposing you. So if someone comes in and they're an asshole, you don't have to be an asshole to them. You can set your own standard of your kind of uh, energy and your attitude. So the truth is, is like, you know, we got a new song out. It's blowing up. And, it's, and, and so, and it's just the beginning. yeah so so you know that's like the reality on on the ground um and you know listen if people ask me questions i'll answer questions but i'm definitely not going to try and overly focus on that or get into a war of words because it just the truth is because of this divisive stuff with the fan base they're like the kids in the divorce who don't want to see their parents argue mama that is not higher Ah, right you know so if, if we say anything, we're damned if we do, damned if we don't, right? If we don't say anything, right. then you're just getting beat up, right? And if you say something, it's like, look at them, just up in the fight, you know? So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's just, it's a very odd position, you know? So, but listen, it's, I've never been anything like this, but you know what? I know what, what, on the other end of it, I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a much stronger weathered person, you know what I'm saying? It's be my personal nom. Yeah. Well, we know yeah. from we know from talking to you last time that you're very uh, 
thoughtful in terms of handling situations. You put a lot of thought into uh, even studying history and similar events. You actually talked at the time. Um, I don't know if you guys had made the decision, but you were, you were talking about how you were looking for a new singer and how you weren't going to rush into it, how you're going to be very calculated uh, and, and pay attention to, you know, music history's previous singer replacements and, and things like that. Um, so first off, after hearing the new single, uh, good fucking choice. Great Thank fucking you. choice. Thank you. Thank um, you. And, and I, I don't know DL personally, but uh, we're friends with All That Remains, and Jason Costa uh, is a friend of ours, and he has spoken incredibly highly of him as just as a person. So yeah. I think that, uh, you know, just from hearing him and knowing kind of his reputation, that seems like an amazing fit. So congratulations on, on that. Can you talk just a little bit maybe about the process of narrowing down sure. that decision? Well, the interesting thing is, you know, when the split happened, we had a song like an old battle song that dl sent us a version of within like 24 hours and so he was like and I, so it was like this crazy thing where everything happened i was like what are we gonna do and all of a sudden you're like the first thing you hear is basically there's no drop off in quality and you're like okay we're like we're like the least the worst version of this at least on record the band is basically keeping it rolling right and then it's just a question of like personality and charisma and stage presence and all this other stuff that you obviously want out of someone. But then despite that, we went on, you know, a three month kind of process of having demos submitted. We never went public. We never like went, hey, hey, uh, singer in Ohio, send us your, your, your demos in. It was all like we were on the prowl and then people who knew us would kind of hit us up Um we didn't want it to be too public and we kind of, and the truth be told, man, I mean, for the style of music we do, because the band is so diverse, the band is so heavy in some regards and so kind of commercial and light in other regards, it's like trying to find individuals that can cover this range and then also have the look and have uh, all those kind of those things that you can't even really put your, put your finger on. There's just not a lot of people out there that can do this stuff. Right. Can that I, that can became I tell really, you? Uh, I, Corey's so mad at me. I interrupted you in the middle of an idea because I had an idea. Yeah, I see it. But I was going to say, because there was a comment that like you reminded me of. It's my favorite comment on the internet right now about you guys that was meant as an insult. And I think it's literally the best comment. Like if someone wrote this about me, I'd be stoked. They said, leave the Nickelbacking to Nickelback. First off, I love Nickelback. Me too. Secondly, I think some of the records are like the best sounding records. Third, all they've ever done is sell records and make people happy. Four, if you meet them, they're Canadian. They're super nice. Five, their favorite band is Slayer. Six, they make gajillions of dollars. Seven, Devin Townsend, probably one of my favorite, most influential people on the planet, says he loves them. So for someone to say, like, you sound like Nickelback, it's basically saying, like, did you know that you made the, the Black Album by Metallica? Which, again, some people hate, but it's, like, one of the greatest things that's ever made. I listen to this new song, and I can't stop singing it. And if it's supposed to be obnoxiously awesome, Why do you sound angry it about is. It? I can't. I'm, 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 I'm literally walking around my house going, no, 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 no. I'm like, these fuckers. It's like the song that won't get out of my head. You're a worm. Well, listen, it's funny that because there's definitely songs on the last record, and there were songs that we didn't write. It was like Tommy went and worked with other songwriters. And I think they're really good songs, you know, like Killing Me Slowly that has that kind of nickelback vibe. You know, but I think with this record, you know, we kind of wanted to reclaim the sound a little bit. Um, and it's a great sound, but let's sound like what we sound like, you know, as opposed to sounding like anyone or kind of uh, 
you know, so that, I mean, I think the only thing about that, that I think it kind of made the band feel a little more watered down on the last record, or at least regards to like radio and stuff like that, where you kind of, it sounds like whatever else is on the radio and that's fine. Cause mm-hmm. they were successful both, you know, that and sober both at number one, but it didn't really, I don't feel like it represented me. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's just, that's just me personally, whereas Lifeline, and that's a little more on the commercial side of the record, it's still heavy, it's still ballsy, it's still, you know, I got to do a rip and guitar Your solo. solos <laughs> rocks, dude! I was gonna yeah, say, your solo awesome. fucking rocks! Out of, it's not out of nowhere, but like, all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, it's good. It's good, like, whoa, I can't even do that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, people, but the thing is like, you know, such and such will say, they didn't play on this song, they didn't play on that song. It's like, no one asked me, no one let me, like... So like they would songs just be on the record and you no one said hey doctor do a solo so now I actually get the opportunity to do a solo turns out I can I can hit a note or two you know if, if given <laughs> you're all right if, if you put You've me in the okay. game if you put me in the game coach I'll probably hit a couple shots so <laughs> that's yeah. incredible uh, so what was uh, you know how how has the the change been you know creating that music uh, in this new perspective and new situation. Well, keep in mind, you know, there was basically, when the split happened, there was basically a record that existed, more or less. Uh, but a lot of that, the what record that was there was stuff that we weren't a part of, that we weren't allowed to be part of, stuff we didn't really want on the record. So we took about two-thirds of that stuff and then pretty much, you know, altered everything that was left over, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm trying to be careful my words, you know. Um and made sure it was, it was our creation. And then we, you know, and then we wrote a handful of other new songs. And there were even songs, there's probably, I don't even know, eight songs that didn't even make the record that, I mean, really good stuff. You know, uh, there's two B-sides that are great, a little bit kind of like right in that, that heavy, heavy point. But, uh, you know, I mean, there's a song that DL wrote, he brought in all the music, you know. Um, there are songs that, like one song is, is a song I wrote that, when Tommy was in the band, like it wouldn't even be considered. So it's like, I, you know, it's like, so it's like we had to flush some shit out. And then it's like, okay, now, now, you know, the brother gets a, a chance to kind of do it, do, do his thing. But it was really cool because it's because of that, we only got to really scratch the surface of what we can do with DL. Um, but there were songs like we go in and they're literally at the beginning of the day, there'd be no vocals written. Maybe a little, we'd like, we have a little something, but we'd like write everything in a day or two and all of a sudden you like you're really building the songs from a vocal and kind of melody standpoint and, and, all, and all that stuff and it just seemed to work really well but it's really going to be on the next record where we can where we're like starting from scratch whatever that means even though we have all this leftover material because you know like me I'm a big I'm a very conceptual thinker right I'm big picture I'm like all right guys what's the what's the what's what, what's the story we're telling what are we going for I think some of the other guys are a little more they just kind of go they just go where I want, I want everything to be part of a bigger idea, you know, and that sometimes gets a little bit more difficult to do. But one of my big goals, of this record, like I said, not that I'm like the number one songwriter in the band, but I always, but just in terms of trying to be like an executive producer or trying to, is like, I wanted stuff to fit more in a singular lane as opposed to being ADD, where it was like, there's a song on our last record called Forward Friend. And then it's the heaviest song on the record. It's right next to, sober which sounds like you know you hear that shit in walmart so it's like <laughs> and that's cool and all yeah but i feel like you it's much easier to divide your audience when the, it's so varied 
you know, and it's and it's varied on this record, but for some reason it feels more congruent. Yeah, I think that's important. That, that this, you know, all all our favorite records for those of us that actually you know, grew up listening to entire records and not just singles, there has to be some sort of story. If not, not not a you know completely blanket monotone voice, but a story that goes throughout an entire record. That's something that with it with our band Lost Symphony was paramount because we don't have lyrics. So we we spent a lot of time trying to find a thread and and you know considering it was our stuff was recorded over several years. We actually made an effort not to make it too different because we were changing singers. We wanted to do things that felt kind of in the Bad Wolves canon, so to speak, so that it wasn't like jarring when they heard the new singer. So on the next record, I was like me. I just I feel like when you're in this position where you have, you know, the spotlights on you and you can actually do something different with the genre and break boundaries like I want to take shit to the next level but we kind of like i don't say we play it safe but we we just we didn't want to go too far there's definitely songs where it's like oh here's a new thing here's a new thing but we didn't go crazy with that and i'd kind of like to go crazy with that at some point but you know but i, but yeah. I wanted people who, who listen to the band to go okay this makes sense from what i know well something really interesting is you know dl for this from from the acacia strain and he he's a sick guitarist dude and like now He's like replacing a, a frontman that a lot of people thought defined your band, which clearly is not the case, right? And he fits not only right in, but it's like, dude, uh, what's that like as as a guitar player watching another guitarist walk in and then just be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing, and then he fucking owns it. Is he looking at you going, I should play rhythm, or is he like, you're Eddie Van Halen and he's Sammy Hagar, I don't need to play right now. You know what's funny is like, so he actually wrote a chorus on our last record called Kill the Consumers uh, for us. But even before that, when the first record came out, he like blew up my DMs how much he loved the band. And he, he wanted, he was like, I'm gonna join your band. I'll be the third guitar player. Like he was, he just loved <laughs> Bad Wolves as a guitar player, you know? Um, and so it's kind of ironic it all, it all came around. But you know, honestly, now it's like having an Adam D in the band or a Devin Townsend or something like this. Just someone who can write, who can produce, who can, you know, there's songs on the record that, you know, he did some guitar playing and production stuff in his studio and, you know, and some, I think yeah, he did some vocals at his, his studio as well. So it's like having like that, just, uh, just a, you know, one man band basically. And you're adding that to kind of this already really deep ta talent pool. It's, it's like little, Mike Patton showing up with all of his like controllers yeah. and his guitar and his friends. He's like, I know the executioners. I can do everything you need. Here's, by the way, here's Synchronicity by the Police. Here you go. This is gonna be our next record. Yeah, and it's and the truth is, even as a vocalist, I'm like hearing what he's doing now. I'm like, well, what happens when we go on the road for a year and he like is developing his voice and singing all the time? He's just gonna get better at that, you know. And as far as him playing on stage, I mean, he can do whatever the hell he wants. I don't, I don't give a damn. You know what I'm saying? Take some, take some load off me. You know what I'm saying I'll, I'll be in. The, I'll take this song off while you go out there and shred, <laughs> dude. I'm gonna tell you right now, you guys. If you decide to pull out three guitars for a song and just go extra, I'm telling you right now, especially with someone as good as DL, that's fucking relentless, and I can't wait. Because one of the things I love about God forbid, and also with this new song, is that you guys just sound huge. Like your guitar sound is just like here's my balls on your head. It's just like oh, sexual assault. Yes. Yes. Sexual chocolate, bro. It was assault in a good way, though, because when I first listened to it, I'm like, man, this is awesome. It's so sorry. That sounded terrible. But yeah, like super ripping. Balls are salty. We get it. 
Siobhan likes to be assaulted with salty balls. No, anyway, not not to go backwards. Canceled. But I'm cur- We're canceled. Thank you. <laughs> I think we've been canceled. We have Benny Goodman on the podcast, so we've been canceled long ago. But speaking of being canceled, we had a funny article that we found today. We, we had talked to Satchel from Steel Panther, who's also going through, you know, a member change, trying to find someone new. And, you know, you had mentioned that you had your eyes on a few people, didn't really put out, you know, word out into the public looking for someone. How... You know, can you go a little bit more into the process of how you chose DL and, sure. you know, maybe some of the things that you looked out for? What sealed the deal for you when it came to him? So what we did was, you know, we got a bunch of instrumentals of some old songs. And then, you know, we'd send them, <clears throat> people would, we get in touch with people, they reach out to us, reach out to them, send them material and say, hey, just, you know, record these three songs. We just want to hear a range of like ballady type stuff, kind of mid range, kind of aggro rock and then some heavier stuff. And so we probably got, I don't know, like 30 submissions that way, you know, because we weren't just going to like let just anyone do it unless you, we kind of saw your, you know, we check out your stuff, either your band or if you're on YouTube or whatever, TikTok and, and see, you know, but dude, and that, but we would, I mean, I would spend whole nights just like on YouTube, on looking up hashtag covers, you know, people doing this. And truth be told, I like, I think that the, the fantasy was that, oh, there's just going to be some, like, 25-year-old kid from, like, London who's you know, looks like Billy Idol, who can just do everything, you know, like this, like, diamond just sitting there. And then and you the find tr- the guy from Journey who's, like, from Vietnam or whatever, or Thailand or something <laughs> like that. He sounds like Steve Perry, but it's just strange. No, but it's the truth is most of those people that have that, but they're already in bands, right? They're, they've yeah. more or less, it's very like, rare where someone's just, completely undiscovered or you have someone who's really cool they're great but maybe what they do doesn't quite fit like something with us like we put um for us the singing ability was we put vastly over screaming like screaming was you need to do something you can't be able to not scream at all or have some type of heavy voice but you know we view ourselves as a, a metal band that also is a rock band so it's like the voice is no is number one you know um and then after that, it was just like the actual tone of the voice. Because there were people who sent in great tapes, but the tone of the voice just didn't fit the band. It was maybe a little too thin or not. And the main thing is just it had to sound soulful. That, Can I that, tell that, you that, what I like about DL that I noticed right off the bat is that he has like almost like a vibrato, like the way he pulls off notes. It's I almost want to say it's kind of Mike Patton-y, like where he has this, this kind of like rough vibrato, and it's like, where you might think, oh, this is odd. You know, there's so much soul at the end of every one of his notes. I was like, oh, this dude has like a vibe. Because you're just so used to like everyone having like that same auto-toned, perfect production voice. Like that's a thing now, like that cookie cutter stuff. And like he ha- like differentiates enough where I like, I I would know DL now because of your music. Yeah, but it's but that to me was like, something that we wanted to keep consistent like well there are some dudes like you know offense it's like it just sounds a little too white there's a little too white we need a little we know is that why you never called me i tried a little that's all right mambo number five wasn't your bag i I thought you would like mambo number five (laughs) so my my dad who is you know who is no longer with us but was white as the day is long if my band if godfrey wasn't playing well and he come to the show he's always you guys sounded white today like and it was not a compliment <laughs> it was my side today <laughs> he's like but he would say that about our drummer who was black he's like Corey was playing white today 
<laughs> that's hilarious oh my gosh <laughs> that's got to be tough though because like even over the internet speaking of finding people let's say it's somebody that you don't know or that's that kind of new it's so much stuff can be so heavily produced even if you're doing yeah. like a bedroom recording okay you so know, that so-, so that brings me to the next step so then okay. once we had a bunch of like 30 of those we whittled it down to about six people to see in person and we got in a room and we jammed and then you started to see like, okay, this is kind of separated, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the wheat from the chaff as it, as it were. And it actually made me really realize, man, these songs, especially the older songs are really tough to sing, man. There's a lot wide range, really high, a lot of, you know, varieties, a lot of speed and stuff. So it was the people, you know, when you get to see it in the room and, you know, our setup is okay, but it almost like it didn't do you any favors, you know? And then we, we whittled down like three people and then we did, we had people track new songs and we're like, okay, it's cool. You can sing on old songs. It's really, how do you sound on new material? And, you know, and those three people were great. They're all phenomenal. I mean, I almost feel like we probably would have been successful almost with, you know, like with either of them because they were so, so talented. Uh, but it, it was a unanimous decision with DL. And I think it was, you know, just the tone of his voice just felt the most correct. And the way he got along with the band was so easy and familiar. And that's something, you know, that I think is a little underrated, right? Like that, just the chemistry and like knowing, and honestly his, the thing I didn't even really factor into it at the time with everything that's going on right now, his temperament is like, like he just, nothing bothers him, you know? And now he's like people, you know, he's getting harassed, people sending death threats and shit. It's like not cool, you know? you know, it's it's the ultimate not cool, but I don't. That's the one thing I think that actually sets them apart. Is I don't know if anyone else would have had the temperament to deal with the kind of firestorm we're going through right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, you're stepping right into an already stressful situation where you're dealing with things that have never happened before in a lot of ways. So good for him. That's amazing. That's a it's a really tough find. I can imagine it's a huge feat. Yeah, but but here's the thing. But he's never fronted a band. You know, so I think there's definitely going to be a learning curve there of like going from being the guitar player and not touring for a while and kind of finding his footing there. And that's fine. Like, let's go out there. I think the main thing is sound great. That's that's the main thing. And then everything else, I think, will eventually fall into place. So just we just got to get on the road and you just got to get the reps. You do it. You do it. You do it. And uh, but we'll see. We don't know when we're playing, like because there's legal stuff with that. So we'll figure that out. Yeah. So in the in the meantime, what what's the what's the band up to? Is it just a holding pattern, just getting getting prepped and everything? Or, well, essentially, we we've known for a while that twenty twenty one is pretty much off the table. So, I, you know, everyone's kind of doing different projects, like to kind of get by and make a living, kind of do do different things. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of work, you know, with the record in terms of, um, you know, the record comes out October 29th. So. It's, you know, it's social media, it's interviews, it's, you know, all the stuff that goes in with kind of laying out a record and kind of, you know, being connective and being part of that, you know, process. So, you know, and, and in many ways, I think it's, you know, think about how many bands were going to tour this time, period of time and then decided not to, be it the Deftones or Limp Bizkit ended up canceling their tour. So I, I kind of feel like we didn't lose out on too much not touring right now because it's so tumultuous out there. And it just, for me, I think the, the real benefit is like once the record's out and then even if we don't tour till, you know, first quarter, second quarter next year, it'll actually really give people time to, to fall in love with the record 
and get familiar with it. So by the time we do play, it's like, it's not going to feel like, oh, I just heard the song last week and now they're playing it on stage. They'll have lived with it for five, six months. And, you know, I think that's kind of reflective of this time period where we had a year and a half where no one toured, but, you know, records still came out, artists broke, and you had to figure out new ways to promote your music. And we're lucky with the, the record label we have. They, have. they have such a footprint being, you know, with radio and Spotify, uh, you know, playlists and all these things. And, I, and honestly, the truth be told, too, there's just a lot of people rooting for us out there, which is, you know, is a, is a, is a cool thing. You know, I think this all this hullabaloo has kind of created that other narrative of people wanting to see the band succeed despite all odds. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, to continue on with that, I mean, obviously, Bad Wolves has been pretty vocal on social media about what the stuff that happened with Tommy. And I'm curious, you know, that as I'm sure a lot of bands go through tumultuous things, how did you come to that decision, you know, collectively or individually of, you know, why to speak out about it? Because that's a tough thing, you know, to become vocal about things that are going on rather than just kind of slipping it under the radar and moving on and using a word like you know. abusive is pretty strong and i mean and and that leads to a lot of different ideas and it's kind of like well can you paint the picture of why yeah i understand where Siobhan's coming from why you would use a word like that and what it actually connotated because that's a that's a that's a scary situation it sounds like tommy hit me that's that's the abuse he hit me he physically oh assaulted God. me dude <laughs> You know, and I haven't talked about that publicly. Can you paint that picture for us? I mean, like, he, he just came up and, like, explained that to us. Like, humanize the situation. We got into an argument on the bus about a song, you know, and he hit me, you know. You know, and, and you know, it was like an open hand, but still enough to bust my lip. You know, it took me to the ground. It was like, you know, because he, he said he was a god. He actually <laughs> said that? He said, I'm a god. Call me a faggot. <gasps> you know. And then, and and while he's raging on top of me, you know, he go, I go, um, I go, you know, he's, I was like, yo, you gotta hit me, just hit me, because I wasn't fighting it. That's 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 the thing about f fighting is a lot like sex. Um, it's very different, you know. Without consent, it's a different act, right? So, like, right. if I don't agree to fight you, we're not in a fight. You're just assaulting the person, right? Sure, absolutely. You know? So, you know, and I just basically go, and I'm wise on top of it. I go, I love you, man. I love you. And he just, it, that, that pissed him off. I left, I filed a police report. I left the tour, you know, so, but I haven't, I literally haven't mentioned that, that, that publicly, but that's, that's, that's some of the abuse. Well, okay. So let me wow. ask you this. Do you think, I mean, that's, this, look, is, I'm not this, defending, is, this, this is April of 2019, by the way. I'm not defending yeah. him at all, but do you think that there's some, like, there must be some serious abuse he's come from or some serious fuckery that's led him to get to that point, don't you think? Like, I mean, did you see him start to unravel? Because it sounds to me like he's been, I mean, I've been watching it online. He's unraveling, dude. He's getting to trap level. Well, listen, I don't want to expound on that stuff too much. I really, sure. I feel, I feel yeah. like I'm in the position where, you know, I have to speak about my experience and I got to okay. speak for me, you know, and, and, and I don't know if this is necessarily the format to forum to go like all in because the truth is if I did the tell all we'd be here all fucking day. Like it's so crazy. And I feel like, you know, when you, when you get into that stuff, like I said, it becomes a tit for tat. It becomes, like I said, no matter what I say, if I say anything disparaging, it's they're in a food fight. They're both bad. Like it's it's a very like, well, he said, she said, you know, and you know, and 
and it's just a very difficult position because you don't want to kind of, you know, get involved. Like I do, I do not want to spend my life talking about negative things. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Or like dwelling on negative things. Like I want to talk about what's happening now. Well, it seems like he's codependent and you guys want to move forward. And it's really hard because you can't move forward when your ex-girlfriend's showing up going, let me in! Look what you did to me! I will not be ignored, Michael. I will not be ignored. I don't own a gun, nevertheless, many guns that would necessitate a gun rack, Doc. (laughs) No, my my favorite is actually, remember uh, What About Bob? Yo, of course. Uh, he goes, Murray. he's never gone. See? <laughs> <He's right there>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, That's listen, craziness. But, but, but listen, um, some of that stuff, I think, is just going to have to work out itself. You know, so and, and I think in life, when you, when you encounter stuff that's not um, ideal, the thing you have to hone in on is what can I control? I can't spend my you know, my energy worrying about things I can't control. I can't control other people. I can't control, you know, major events. And so just, and that's, you got to go, Hey, what can I do? Right. So me, like I, I made, you know, when we were getting, you know, I don't even know how many people coming to our pages and like saying, we stole a song and all this craziness. I just, I've made my, my Instagram private, you know? Yeah. Whatever. Is it a big deal? It's not really a big deal, you know? Uh, but you know, does it give me a little solace to not have to, you know, and I still got people, people who follow me coming in, telling me all those terrible things I did and you go, okay, you know what? I'm not, I'm just going to block you move it on. I'm not going to argue with you. It's, it's not worth the time, you know, because the truth is someone, I was going to say someone posted a meme the other day that said something to the extent of like during the eighties, uh, some, uh, competitor to McDonald's posted a, th- a third of a pound, uh, burger versus a quarter pounder. And then Americans, wouldn't buy it because they thought they were being screwed because they saw three instead of four. And that's what I feel like arguing with people on the internet is completely a metaphor for. It's like, no, man, I want my quarter pounder. You could fuck your third pounder. I'm just like, dude, I don't even know the metric system. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an impossible battle with people that know nothing about your lives and the situation trying to chime in. And it's really well, unfortunate. Yeah, it's hard to see, you know, if friends going through that. Well, the w- funny thing about it I guess maybe the sad part is is the realization of how few fans actually understand the way the music industry works. Like they don't understand that nine out of 10 times when artists sign to record labels, the label owns your master recordings, they own your copyrights. Um, and, you know, and you, and so when someone posts, you know, un you know, uh, like, like the non-official version of stuff, like that's a crime. It's illegal. You can't do that. Like, you know, and just you mean like the FBI you, warning before all my VHS tapes. Exactly. You're, yeah. Oh, you okay. Know, you know, you're not allowed to sell uh, bootlegs of a uh, Kill Bill out the out the trunk of your car. You know, um, so it's ironic that someone can do that, which is by the legal version of it is actually stealing, but we're accused of stealing. <laughs> you know, so and especially yeah. especially with that, where it's like, you know, he accuses us of stealing the song, but the only thing he wrote was lyrics. That we changed, so he doesn't play an instrument. He doesn't play guitar. But he, so he didn't write the music. He didn't write the vocal melodies. He wrote some lyrics, and we changed those. And he doesn't own the master recordings. He doesn't Sounds own like the he copyright. He likes to write history, <laughs> but somehow it's stolen. Like China. Like, what's that? So he sounds like he likes to write history, like China. He's just gonna be like, write you know history? what? Doc didn't write this song. I did, 
and now it's real because he said it in Wikipedia. Well, yeah. No, but, I, but here's the thing. You didn't I write think... it. I wrote it on Wikipedia. It's real now. <laughs> okay, let him talk, Ben. <laughs> no, but uh, no, but I think that's kind of the sign of ultimate power is being able to shape reality, is be going to say, I whatever I deem it to be, that's what it is. And the actual facts, and as long as I can convince enough people, then, and you know, and that's like kind of the emperor's disease, right? Is that I'm just going to surround myself with yes men who are going to go, hey, you know, the emperor's clothes, right? Like, so, and, and, that, and, it, and we're in a post-truth era, right? People don't really fact check things, right? The fact checkers are biased. They're this, it's, you know, there, there's no objective truth anymore. The truth is, you know, you basically start with a worldview and then you find convenient evidence, cherry pick evidence to back up your original idea. So, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, like I said, I, I do think over time things will kind of bear out. And I do think also it's still a small minority on the internet. And I, I just don't think the real, if you turn off your phone, if you erase all those social media, the stuff would basically not exist. Sure. You know, so it's it's such a um, <coughs> we're kind of a victim of the the moment and the mediums that we feel like, oh, if I'm not on this all the time, I'm not promoting my band or I'm not being available and I'm not, you know, I'm not being present. And it's unfortunate. We're now like if you say, hey, I don't want the toxic energy of social media in my life. An artist manager, well, you're lazy. You, you don't you have to do this. You have you know what I'm saying? Like. It's kind of, and I'm not saying our managers are saying that. I'm just saying, like, you were an up and coming artist and you had no following. Your only way to expose yourself is through social media. It's like a requirement. It sucks. Well, it's, it's funny you're saying that because on, on the podcast I was talking to you earlier, they were saying, like, was it required to be in a band anymore? And I said, you know, are they talking about talent? I said, talent just gets you through the door. Like, one of the things that was very fascinating talking to Dustin, the singer of Star Set, was he looked at Ron, the bass player, and the first thing he said was, he's very operational. And he understands how to be strategic and like he's a logistics guy. So it's like the fact that he's a murderous bass player, who gives a fuck? But the fact that he can look at all the Google analytics and understand <laughs> it, he's part of the fucking star set society. And I'm like, dude, so like you can't just be in a band anymore. Now it's like you have to be a marketing guy. You have to be an engineer guy. You have to be an executive producer. You have to be a producer. You have to make sure that you show up. You have to make sure you have TikTok. You have to make sure you have Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, Friendster. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Way too much shit. <laughs> well, uh, Doc, with everything that's gone down and and obviously still kind of being in the middle of it, uh, is there anything that's like obviously uh, obvious that, that you've learned personally or professionally that you're going to kind of take with you moving forward because of everything? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I think – I don't know. I, I think definitely – in terms of like how the environment turned to what it did. I, I feel like anytime you have something that's suboptimal, doesn't go the way you want to, the first, most important thing is go, what did I do to put myself in the position to end up in a, in a place that was not opportune? So I think that's like where you go learn, okay, why, you know, how do I not put myself in those situations in the future? But as, it's also, I think it makes me reassess just like what I want in life, right? Like what do we, one out of life like i'm not in a band because it's supposed to be like a battle you know i'm in a band it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be like the cool job you know so all these other aspects um they're not cool it's not cool so you go and i've had times in my life where i'm like yep i'm good i'll go bartend i like you're working like there's a lot of solace in working a regular ass job that you're not invested in at all <laughs> 
you know, you, you never sleep better when you not when you leave you know a job that you just don't care about. You know, I have nightmares about music, the music business, all the time, right? And so, like, I always leave that in my back pocket that I'll never let this industry hold me hostage. You know, and go like like because that desperation that I need a record deal, I need to be on tour, I need to be in a band. People see that and they exploit you. You know, yeah. it's a very exploitative uh, industry. And so I, you know, in, in many ways, you know, I, th- I could look at like elements of immaturity myself and go, that's something I need to work on. But there's elements of always keeping that child like um, wonder. You know, and that's like the that same kernel of the reason why I started doing this is the thing I'm going for. Like you, you want that to kind of pay off that being in a room with your buddies, making music, playing a show and have that vibe, just that, you know, I don't want to lose that. Like, I never want this to just be about money or just well, about. People, one of the things that I think that we've learned to gauge success is the quality of your problems. And I, I'm sort of curious because first off, you're dealing with a lot of drama very gracefully in, in the press. And my question becomes like, there's so many bands that like, that are probably sitting home going, I wish people cared about my singer enough where they like listen to my version of my new single versus the other version of that single and then compare the single to my single and then write comments about that single and then go look for that single and then try to download the single and then decide who's the best guy. Like, is this a good thing in some way, even though you're going through fucking hell, the fact that your band, like I listen to that and I go, I'm going to hear this in Walmart and everywhere because that shit is fucking catchy as fuck in the greatest of ways. But like you're going through hell is it worth it? And do you want this attention despite the fact that it's horrifying and toxic? Well, I think each band member has to decide that for themselves if it's if, it, if, if, if it's worth it. Um, <clears throat> but I will say this. Uh, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. So the fact that there's a passionate response either way means that somehow people are invested in the story. And even a lot of the haters, even a lot of them, I think it's just a snapshot in time because if, if Ultimately, it's like if the burger tastes good, motherfuckers gonna buy it. All right, I, I know a lot of, I know, I know a lot of liberal ass motherfuckers that'll be at that line at Chick Fil A, you know, eating them, eating them hate, hate filled sandwiches. Mm, oh, I love it. Mm, so Al Gore, all right. You are so um, right. You know, so homophobia if, never tasted so delicious. That's right. That's right. So if the product is good, right, then people will consume. Like, yo, here's the thing. Our version is the one that's going to be on radio. Our version is the one that's going to be on Spotify. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on these places. So they're going to hear it. They're going to be familiar with the band. The band ain't going anywhere. So eventually it's this thing of like, I get it. You want to be like vested interest in something. But ultimately, if it's good, people dig it. And by the way, yo, this is a wonderful thing about the world of kind of rock, like big rock music. There's a lot of fans out there. Just because those people don't like you don't mean there's a million more of them out there that would be totally down for the cause, you know? So, uh, and I, and I'm of the mind this, like if there were fans of our band who only cared about our singer and didn't care about any of us, why the fuck would I want you to be my fan? If you don't yeah. care about me, if I'm just like, you're a shitty fan. Like I don't want <laughs> shitty fans. I, I was, was like, going to ask you that. The customer like- is not always right. Doc. The customer <laughs> no, is not always right. But, but no, but, but really think about that for a second. Like, why would I be upset? that someone said they're not going to follow my band because someone else left and they don't care about me. So I'm like, well then here, man, I'll, I'll drive you to the airport. Which is, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, 
I buy like why would I you know I you know I'd rather have a smaller audience that actually gives a shit about everyone and cares about you know what I'm saying like and so <coughs> you know it's I mean that's something you know maybe that's a pride thing or just a general like self-respect thing of like that's fine and by, and by the way and I think that's if you were just to just purely talking about music right it's like I would never be upset if someone doesn't like my band like it, everyone has an opinion it's perfectly fine like if you don't like it I would never be mad when I was like, yeah, I'm not really into the music. I'm not really into the singer. That's fine. That's not even a diss. Just like I'm not into it. That's good. There's tons of well, things I'm not polarization, into. polarization though? Because like, I'll tell you this right now. I think Tommy has a great voice. He sounded fucking awesome in your band. He sounds like an asshole. Sounds like a guy I definitely don't want to be on tour with. But guess what? I watched the fucking video with DL and he sounds awesome and left me wanting nothing. In fact, I'm excited to see you guys. Is that... A opinion that people can have where like hey I like the old music but I'm gonna support these guys anyway because they sound fucking awesome and guess what Doc writes the songs yeah well I don't I don't know I'm a, like I said I contribute I would never, they would never say I'm the songwriter I'm, look at how I, humble I he is I help it's the facts I'm listen I, I keep it real alright I would never oh you mean like credit. someone else saying that they took all the credit for writing all your music yeah. when they don't listen, write shit and here's the thing I would never you know disparage anyone else i would never say that tommy isn't immensely talented and has a, have a great voice i think he's extremely talented and that's you know i would i would give him the respect that i was not given uh of de denigrating someone else's talent um but and you know then that's that's a tough thing i said any band that loses a singer uh is in for a, a difficult situation the good thing though we only put out two records you know it's not like we did 10 albums and it was this it was this mm -hmm. big thing um and yeah i think if i was being objective i would say of course like it was going to be a tough climb because so many people associated the band with him and so you go so in some ways i think all the um just really divisive activity may have made people more amenable to a singer change than if it had been for more innocuous innocuous reasons you know so it, it's so in some ways it created like i said this whole faction of people who were like rooting for us who maybe you know, because of all this other really like just terrible culture he war. He vilified himself. So he made I it do. very easy not to like. Yeah, but I just don't, I don't get really anyone who gets out on stage, right? And immediately is like going to do a partisan thing and like just alienate half the fans. Like, you know, you know, it's like, I want to see, you know, I went to that corn stain show, you know, I'm not going to, you know, and you know, some people are saying things on stage are like, if you don't agree with that politically, then now you just bummed out some of those people there who are there as opposed to dude, your it's your job to entertain, right? Not you're not running for office. I'm not running for office. It's not, you know, and it's like the whole point of the rock show is so we can have a refuge from all the bullshit on the internet, not for it to just be an amplification of that. Like, so it's I really enjoy the shows where it's more about the music, where it's about being together, being getting past our differences, not highlighting them. Um, that's what that's what I want. I think there's so much, there's a million and one ways to be stressed out in today's day and age that we, you know, this should be a refuge, you know. And it's and it sucks, man, because you can tell, man. It's like a lot of us, man, just they get they're on Twitter all day or they're watching weird YouTube videos or listening to AM radio and they're just getting pissed off about something and they need somebody to blame and I'm with this team and we're going to kill those and you don't you know it's like yo bring it down bro bring it down
Bring it down, baby. Okay, can I ask you the converse of that, though? Because I feel like maybe I'm going to get booed to shit for saying this. But in America, okay, we like, so I love (laughs) Iron Maiden. I love love Iron Maiden unbelievably. But I think that the last few records that they've released have been horse shit. And that basically, because they write long songs, because Bruce Dickinson can sing really awesome and it's all historical, people are just like, yeah! Like, the new album, Send Jitsu, has four out of five stars in Rolling Stone. Like, nine out of ten. I've listened to it. It's boring. And I love Iron Maiden. But I think what it is is that people are so excited. Like, the old metal community, if you saw the guy wearing the Maiden shirt, you're like, I don't care who he is, what he does, but he likes Maiden. We're friends. So now it's like, if Maiden releases a record, we're just like, oh, we're so happy that Maiden is here. I don't care if it's the same song slowed down and Blaze Bailey singing on it with Bruce and he's flying a turtle. It doesn't matter. It's just Iron Maiden. So now we're rewarding some bands for being mediocre, in my opinion, and they're just doing the same thing over and over because we're just so happy. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I feel like there's a lot of bands being rewarded for mediocrity. Here's the thing, all right? (laughs) Iron Maiden. I love them. Hold on. You or me or anyone here is not the arbiter of taste, good or bad, right? (laughs) Ultimately, it's a meritocracy. So that means... Iron Maiden, who just opened up number three on the Billboard charts, it sold six. Congratulations to those guys, by right? the way. That's amazing. Right? The fans decided that they wanted to support the band. We don't get to say how much they like it or what their personal experience with it. Sometimes I know this certain artists or I'm the shit f- fan. Oh no, my exactly. god! Exactly. Exactly. No, no, no. I'm the but guy you a- don't want to like your band. No, no. But oh, the what I'm saying man. is, there's some like some bands. I buy their records sight unseen just because I want to support them. Do you know what I I'm saying? I have Senjitsu. So there you go. But I know, but then you went and just just drugged the damn record on, on well, the no, air. Well, no, because I was upset. <laughs> I'm upset because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so some guy online played one of the, my favorite songs. How, one how old are you? Five. How old are you? 38. 38. Okay. 30 more years. Let's see your records then to see how good they are. Dude, listen. I'm 30 just saying. Years Do you know how hard it is could to I, make... Albums, I'm not gonna like, make it to 30. I'm just saying. My, my point is, is that just the fact. Just think about it. Iron Maiden, Metallica, ACDC. These bands never have to release another album again no. if they wanted to, yeah. right? They do it because they want to, and then the fans go, "Thank you. We want this. They want new music." And like I said, to each his own. Well, do you I'm think it's here. better to burn out or or to fade away? Because, like, for example, I, I'm a big Hunter S. Thompson fan. And I was talking about him last night, and I, I was like, hmm, I wonder what his suicide note was, because I'm weird, and I like wanting to Google it. So I'm going to read it to you, because he sent it to Rolling Stone, oh and it's listed as, uh, football season is over, and I feel like it's very relevant for this conversation. No more games, no more bombs, no more walking, no more fun, no more swimming. 67. That's 17 years past 50. 17 more than I needed or wanting. Boring. I'm always bitchy. No fun for anybody. 67. You're getting greedy at your old age. Relax. This isn't going to hurt. And that's kind of how I feel about if I was a musician trying to be Nico McBrain. Okay. Can I I give you my opinion on Hunter S. Thompson? Brilliant writer, but he was basically, uh, you know, a misanthrope. I mean, he was an extremely cynical person who kind of hated the world and therefore hated himself and he it's fucking quit, and he quit on life because he's a fucking quitter, all right? No, he had, he had, he had, no, some people know he had a the debilitating disease, and he was gonna, he was okay. gonna die. So he just okay. decided to save everyone the grief by shooting himself in the head, and then having okay. Johnny Depp send his ashes into space for fifty grand. But I digress. 
Okay, so I overstayed the quitter part, but you know, I, I, I understand that part. But what, but what I'm saying is he was a fairly misanthropic person who generally leaned into the, you know, I think there's, you know, and you go back to the 60s and, and this, you know, like you read his stuff on like the McGovern race and all like the idea of like crushed hope that, hey, we're through this counterculture, we're going to stop Vietnam and we're going to fix civil rights, right? And they realize, hey, we actually we didn't fix anything. And the war is still going and, and, and all your hope and all your stuff, it doesn't work out. And then we do you just become cynical and you go, I can't fix the world. I can't fix myself. So I'm just going to drink and shoot shit out in the fucking woods. Well, no, but you know what? Dead. There's something fun about a guy who's willing to go out in public and admit to killing John F. Kennedy to his son in front of people that are definitely listening to him and then go through every reason why he did it. That's a certain type of humor that I feel like. I need in my life. And granted, I no, realize I love he's nihilistic. Him. He's like Nietzsche. I love him as a as an individual. Like, I, I put Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> in this thing. Like, I actually had this hero wall, and he was up there, and I took him down because he's not a good person. No, he was yeah. bad, dude. He's a piece you of know. shit. So, you know, it's you can kind of, like, I respect the rebellious spirit that he represented. The, you know, it's a, it's a big, giant glass of fuck you that we can all, you know, like that Bukowski-esque. There's your title, hey, Corey. Big giant glass of fuck you, Doc Coyle. <laughs> Colin you know, Tommy Vexed. It's a good summary for this yeah. episode. <laughs> One, what we brought up a little while ago, a couple, actually a couple times, Metallica has popped up, and uh, I believe you just you just wrote a piece uh, on on the anniversary of the Black Album. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, my friend Katie Irizarry, who worked with me on the Last Words podcast, which is no longer with us, but uh, she. Uh, show, shot me over to the guy at Spin Magazine who's putting together this article. I think it was like 30 artists or something, you know, did, wrote kind of what the Black Album meant to them. And I kind of tried as succinctly as possible, just kind of put why I think the, the album mattered to me uh, and why I think somehow that also reflected in just young people and the universality that every day a kid picks up guitar and tries to play in a Sandman that's 12 years old. And then then goes from that, and then they want to start a band. And for some reason, it can still have that same, the same impact 30 years later is just, it's just insane. And it's just, you just can't, you just can't mess with it. So I'm, I'm all about it, you know? And, uh, and the fact that you, you know, I didn't even know who was going to be in the article or anything. I saw it was like Slash was in there and all these big time people like, oh shit, <laughs> You know what I love though is when you talk to old curmudgeons like like Paul Lorenzo, our drummer, and he's like, "Dude, I couldn't listen to anything past like Master or whatever." And, and he's like, and, "And you hear these differing stories, like you know, the day the Black Album came out was like the blackest day in metal, like in a bad way." Whereas like for me as a child, like, and I still to this day, like I understand why the staunch Metallica freaks might go that that was like light. But for from okay, I'm a producer, you know, I, I have to tell everyone that I have to put the disclaimer, I'm a producer, but. From a production standpoint alone, that is one of the greatest albums of all time. And it took metal to a place where like 12, 13-year-old children would never have heard it. And I just remember like Optimus Prime breaking and fucking chasing James Hetfield and like things flight. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And there's an old man and I'm hearing harmonies and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And it was one of the first records I literally like went to the store and looked for because absorb my being and to this day i think it's one of the best sounding records that every time i want to check out speakers i put on enter sandman because 
that song is sonically fucking perfect. Three. <laughs> There you go. You answered the question. No, it's interesting to hear because I, I, I didn't grow up listening to Metallica and so many of the people that we talked to, especially in rock and metal, they were a huge influence. So I always love hearing what, what it was about them that moved people because it seems like, you know, to they to my friends were like the Bach and Beethoven to me, like the people that were groundbreaking and like really inspired me to do something. Have you listened to the Black Album, Siobhan? I've listened to parts of it. I haven't listened all the way through. So I need to have a, an evening with That's Metallica. That's adorable. See those speakers behind you? Brock's nice uh, I know. vocals. You need to crank that shit and just listen all the way through. I'm going to do that right after in the this. Sweet and, spot. Crush and crush beers the all, entire time. So, yes. so, listen, so listen to this and I'll say this and, and Doc obviously knows this and this has been said a million times, but this is an example of the difference between analog and digital. So like one of the cool things about this record is it was made at a time where there was still a lot of analog stuff being done, but uh, basically the way the album was recorded it sounds sonically perfect, and if you watch how it was made, and for fuck's sake, that sounds like the most difficult album ever made. Like they they did everything they could to make it sound awesome. And when I used to work at a Best Buy, and I would try to sell ten thousand dollars speakers, I would just say, "Do you like Metallica?" Stand right there, and every single time, once the fucking drums came in, the hear. I would sell those speakers or they'd go over and get denied at the fucking credit card place because the credit <laughs> sucked. But that's not my fault. Metallica sold it 100% of the time, eight times out of 10. Listen, you don't got to sell me, man. I'm all, I'm, listen, it's part of my uh, personal audio, autobiography and it's, it's, you know, it feels almost like, I don't know, part of like my skin or my DNA. It's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's the best. It's the best, and it's cool. Like you know, listen to listen to the covers and stuff that people are doing, and uh, I love. All, I just you know, I'm I'm a very like the type of person. Any type of work that is impactful, and kind, kind of you know how like certain things age very well with time, or sometimes they get they don't get almost better. Like certain films you watch, like it almost gets better with with time. Um, and I love just going through it and trying to figure out why right have those conversations why what is it about this what is, you know what can you learn from that and I, and I and i love things that are just kind of a snapshot in time that you could never remake right because the gear is different and the every little component to big things whether that's an old film or an old song or an old record it's i, lo I just love that stuff i love getting into the weeds and being nerdy <laughs> yeah are there any other um records from your youth or uh you know your developmental musical stage that you still kind of fall back to like the black album anything on that level yeah i mean i'm pretty like i pretty much always am like i like if i'm driving i'll go what's one of my favorite albums i haven't listened to in a while and so like you know yesterday it was like mars volta de in a comatorium or like day before that it was uh portis head live at roseland or you know um you know, not long ago, I was on a, I was just listening to Pearl Jam 10, like, over and over again. Do you just, still have your CD booking in the back of your car? No, my CD book actually got stolen. Um, oh, back shit, in, like, dude. 99 with two guitars, <gasps> at, like, at, at a bar. So it was, like, the giant CD book. I mean, yep. so I, I do have some, I still have some of, like, my old CDs, um, probably Black Album in, included. I, I got rid of everything, but I kept, like, just a handful of, of very uh, sentimental CDs, but you know, but I love that because you know, there's just something about, especially once you get to our my age, it you know, you have that thing of hey man, 
Man, times are just simpler, you know, man. <laughs> okay. you, know, you know, it's funny you say Absolutely. that. So I, we were I, I smoking to, grass. And, I, I, and I, I have to tell you about a moment because this happened to me recently, and it was it was really. All right, well, Ben, um, this is the end of the episode, so make it quick. So it's my it's my it's my rant. So I went and saw okay. Garbage and Alanis Morissette, and Alanis Morissette was doing Jagged Little Pill, and. I love that fucking record. I loved that record. I loved everything Great about record. that record. I, I really did. It changed my life. It, 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 Glenn Ballard, like, I, it made me go, who's a producer? What does he do? Why, how did he make this Alanis girl awesome? Is it Alanis? Is it Alanis? And, like, I went and saw Alanis Morissette with Garbage. And I hadn't seen a show in a long time. I saw Guns N' Roses recently. But, but this was, like, the, the first show I feel like I was actually surrounded by a lot of people and Shirley Manson came out on stage and she saw all the people out there and you could see her eyes well up and she's like I haven't seen a crowd like this in a long time she's like it's not like this all the time and I started to cry because I felt cathartically like in touch with her that like she's watching out like and, and like she's trying to explain to people like it isn't always like this not everyone's always this excited and how happy she was to be there and they sounded so good and then when Alanis Morissette came out on stage I didn't notice that there was lights like somebody complained that there wasn't a lot of lights or this I just listened to the songs and I was so transfixed I remember being in my grandfather's chair in Chicago Illinois like just sitting there looking at my disc man the LED light behind the disc man and just pressing rewind and listening to the songs over and over and over and I hadn't felt like that in 20 years and I didn't realize because I was crying like how much I actually needed music and how much it actually bothered me that I hadn't been out and it took Alanis Morissette and Shirley Manson to show me that like I really was missing that and I and to see them feel the same way with a whole audience there. That's Can I say something rant. about just about that era? Like I think especially like I said, of course we have that nostalgia thing, but there's something about the nineties. It's kind of that last era, nineties, early two thousands, where recordings like big major label recordings still sounded really organic, real yes. drums, like a lot of single vocals, right? Not a lot like with about a lot of layering. And when you kind of compare that to mo modern pop music, I was watching the VMAs last night, and you might as well called it the the solo artists, good looking solo artists with big butts, um, who are lip syncing with dancers, like because it's you know, and and popular music is so completely you know varied from that point that I feel like people like myself feel a refuge when you listen to an Alanis Morissette record. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a person in a room. It's not like this plug-in and this thing and auto-tune and all this stuff that feels so impersonal. And so I think that what defines that era was vulnerability. Like that was the, that was the era that kind of killed the rock star because the first time rock stars were like, no, I'm just, I'm a piece of shit and I'm, you know, depressed and I'm on heroin. And, and, it, and it got like, you know, we're not going to dress like rock stars or wear like this granny fucking sweater and, and you know, and so it kind of killed the rock star but there's something true to that era that just feels like, man, this is, this is kind of, this is the last gasp with that thing, you know, that, 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 that authenticity. So that's something that I tend to go back towards and want to be in that energy. Absolutely. So we're going to, we're going to expect some very raw, organic bad wolves coming soon. Is that what we're no. going to say? <laughs> bad wolves don't make records. Listen, bad wolves is not, it's not that band. We're, we're definitely much more in the kind of hot, like, very produced sound. That's definitely. Yeah. Is it more you ought to know or hand in my pocket? <laughs> None of that, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. New school. New school. New school. And we, and we can't wait to hear more from you guys. Um, 
So as we wrap up this this part one uh, with Doc, thank you for joining us again. Thank, thank you, you for so opening much, up. Man. Thank you for opening up and kind of like giving yeah, us a, you know you. A peek peek into what's going on. You know, obviously we're we're seeing everything just through the the blogs and stuff. Thank so. you. Wait till wait till people pick this up and then I get a call from my label. Hey man. <laughs> Say well, shit. We have great news. We have seven followers, and they're uh, they're all related. They're our parents, so yeah. I wouldn't worry. Hey, no, no, no. You know what? No, I knew we made it today on 2020 because when I went to Ultimate Guitar, they actually transcribed me talking about misogyny. Me, not even our guests. Me talking That's about. That's what misogyny. I was referring to earlier I, when I was. And I'm like, you know that. what? I'm like the fact that a stenographer got paid from Ultimate Guitar to to go through my misogyny slash massage with a happy ending joke. <laughs> And write that out so my mom could then write good job and then repost it was worth everything. <laughs> so stay so tuned. anyway, stay yeah. tuned. Thanks to Doc for stick, stick around for part two. You've been 20. Doc Coyle on Instagram. And where can we find the Bad Wolves online? Is it badwolves.com? Is it the real Bad Wolves? Like, wh where's the real Bad Wolves reside? No, ours, ours is... Uh... Actually, I'm looking at the site now. What is it? That's good. That's a good question. What was Bad Wolves? <laughs> I don't know. It's, well, it was our regular website, excuse me, <clears throat> is badwolvesnation.com. But I guess check this out. The pre-order is badwolves.ffm.to backslash Dear Monsters. And you can pre-order all the uh, vinyl and then the signed version of the record and all that stuff. So just Google it. Lot. We'll put a link. We'll put a link in the description. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, the vinyl, Absolutely. even though we... We can pre-order it now. It's probably not going to show up till 2022. It's a big back order. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Know. <laughs> we know. Stay tuned later this week with Doc Coyle on 2020. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. And, of course, stay tuned later this week for part two with Doc Coyle. This week's throwback clip is from our recent chat with Satchel of Steel Panther, episode 99. Check it out. You know, I'll tell you, one of the, one of the proudest moments that I ever had as an entertainer was going on stage in a casino and playing a set that was 45 minutes and walking off the stage and realizing that we only played two songs. And <laughs> in the course of 45 minutes, and two songs, nobody left. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that's that to me was success. Like we entertained this crowd, nobody left. We played two fucking songs. So then, man, for fucking thirty-eight minutes, we fucking just bullshitted <laughs> with people, and they were entertained enough not to throw anything at me or leave the fucking audience. So to me, that was cool. Like if you've got that tool, then do it. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.